very good, gentlemen. You've figured out my plot. But I simply must know, which one of you is L and which one of you is R? All right, bloody hell, mate. Then off of that crap. Look, you can call me L, you can call me R, you can call my partner L, you can call him R. It doesn't matter. We're L, R. I, I don't even know if we... You know what? i tell you what. I don't think we've ever been assigned a letter. But just for you, from now on, you can just freaking call me L, okay? Or R. Which, which, would, which would you prefer? Well, I, I suppose R, I guess. All right, fine. From now on, you can call me R. And my partner over here, his name is L. Oh, no, his real name's Jack. But just for you, you can call him L. Well, hang on now. I think you should settle down a bit. I think you're going a bit off the rocker with all this. No, no. You know, I've had enough of you, too. You know what? Let's just stop this. You know you don't have a real accent. I know I don't have a real accent. So let's just drop this whole act, okay? We're spies, but we don't have to pretend we're all royal Ishtar people with some sort of crazy British accent. You know, I don't even know where Ishtar is on a map. So how am I supposed to know if they have a British accent? Oh, hang on now. Don't go bonkers. Don't go off the deep end. Now, now don't speak with that American accent and just, just pick up your British accent and, and we'll be all good. Now, now, look, you can't even stay consistent with your accent. Now, talk like you're a frickin' a beetle or a monkey or whatever you want, but I'm out of here. Well, he's not quite a sport, is he, then? There's clever engineers. But no! Time for ASO Radio. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of ASO Radio. I am your host, NZ17, and let me say a hearty ASO Radio to all of my listeners out there. Anyways, we've got a spectacular show for you this week. Uh, not too much anime news, kind of slow week for anime news, but we'll make up for that with three different anime reviews. And uh, for our hotspot, sadly, no video game review. And no soundtrack review. As a matter of fact, we don't even have a manga review. But I will have a fantastic rant. You're just going to have to guess on what it is for now, though, because it's time for the anime news. Well, 2005 was the year of Full Metal Alchemist, and it seems that 2006, by extension, is starting to look that way as well. Yes, Full Metal Manga is number one. Full Metal Alchemist Volume 1 was the top-selling graphic novel of 2005, according to the book Standard. Naruto also took five of the top stands, blah, 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 the top ten spots on the list. So, Naruto looks like it's going to be the new Full Metal Alchemist. Which, in a sense, Full Metal Alchemist is the new, uh, Akira? Or Dragon Ball Z? I don't know, it's a new popular anime. 
but I can't really relate it to too much as far as deep plot television shows go, except maybe for Serial Experiments Lane or uh, Evangelion. Okay, so, next up, Anime News Network has reached 40 million households. ADV's Anime Network recently crossed the 40 million household distribution mark. The service is available on demand and is a linear 24-7 cable channel. Of course, it should note that 40 million is the household reach, not the actual number of subscribers to the network. So if a place says it has 40 million uh, homes, what it actually means is that it has a potential subscriber base of 40 million. Next up, Mega Man, the anime. Oh, it's been done before, but we got a new one called Ryusei no Rockman, and it will premiere October 7th on TV Tokyo. Capcom has not announced any plans to bring the series to the U.S. UIC lines up guest speakers for an anime class. For those not in the know, UIC, U, UCI stands for U, University of California Irvine. Eric Calderon of Gonzo and Maki Tarashima Furuta of Production IG are among the speakers who will contribute to Manga and Anime Explosion, What, Why, How, and Wow, a new University of California Irvine extension course. The class will be held Tuesdays from 7 to 10 p.m. on September 26th through October 24th. So when you're in the area, it's the perfect time to sign up for a college class. More Full Metal Alchemist news. Uh, Funimation has posted a two-minute, 18-second clip from the Full Metal Alchemist movie, Conqueror of Shambhala, and an exclusive on the site's MySpace page. Additionally, five new clips will be posted on the film's main site, along with an extended, uh, extended interview with the film's voice cast, which will be presented over the next two weeks. And I'm sure if you're on a dial-up slow uh, connection or just can't watch the videos, don't worry. They'll be on the DVD. And uh, I have no official word on that, but uh, strong intuition. IGPX English Recording Report. As Production IG's website, which is simply productionig.com, has a new report on the IGPX English Recording by ADR Director Eric P. Sherman. If you feel like reading about the recording behind the crazy racing show, just go to that website. Next up, from Vienna, or Vienna, Virginia, Anime USA is proud to announce that Max, and by the way, this uh, upcoming bit is uh, an excerpt from a press release, but it pretty much explains everything, so forgive me. Anyways, uh, Anime USA is proud to announce that Max, the acclaimed Japanese vocal group, will be attending Anime USA 2006, the Japanese musical Guests of Honor. Anime USA 2006 is a three-day anime convention held at the Sheraton premiere uh, blah, 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 from November 17th through the 19th. During their stay, Max will be performing a concert on the evening of Saturday, November 18th in the Grand Ballroom of the Sheraton. They'll sing many of their past hits as well as new songs from their ninth and latest album, Jewel of Jewels. Max, whose name is an acronym for Musical Active Experience, has been a highly popular vocal and dance group in Japan since its debut in 1995. The current members are Nana, Lena, Reina, and Aki. During the past decade, they have had uh, many top 20 hits in the singles and album charts and have performed at many sold-out venues, including the prestigious Nihon Budokan Hall. 
Their debut album, Maximum, sold over a million copies, and many of their subsequent singles since that debut have sold in the 100,000 to 300,000 figures. Quite an impressive run. They also performed the ending theme, Feels So Right, for Captain Tsubasa, The Road to 2002. After celebrating their 10th anniversary, they released their latest album, Jewel of Jewels, in February 2006. If there's any Max fans out there, be sure to visit the ASO Radio website and drop us a fan mail telling us why you like Max. And I'm not talking about Anthony Max Hernandez, but that will have to wait for another time. And last up, Gendo Senki is back at number one. After briefly yielding to Superman Returns last week, Ghetto Senki once again topped the Japanese box office in its fourth weekend at number one in five weeks. Excellent run, but being a Ghibli film, I suppose we shouldn't really expect anything else. Okay, so I'm going to start off this uh, ASO Radio Anime Review uh, reviewing Volumes 2, 3, and 4 of Comic Party, which uh, essentially, I believe, includes Episodes 5 through 13, but I'll have to check on that later. Anyways, uh, I'm not going to break this down like I usually do uh, volume by volume or episode by episode, because it's been a little while and I feel I can best serve you by giving my overall impress- impressions. Um, Comic Party is essentially about one uh, eccentric man's dream to go and rule the world with the, an influential line of uh, manga released under the label of uh, Two Brothers, or Brother Two, and uh, goes and gets his friend to join him in this mad plan for world conquest. But the show isn't about Pinky and the Brain Excel Saga-esque adventures, but more so about uh, one man's journey in growth to become a full-fledged manga artist, or in this case, a doujinshi manga artist. Um, And, of course, Comic Party is a wonderful depiction of the world of doujinshi and comic um, parties, if you will, uh, comic and exhibition sales. But um, the show is, of course, about this subject, but it more so concerns itself with the main character's growth, from an unwilling uh, victim caught up in this mad ploy of uh, a great business venture to eventually becoming a great manga artist in his own. Uh, The first volume has shown us what uh, he initially experienced in finding the hobby odd and the people that partake in it unusual, But now he's grown at the beginning of Volume 2 to the point where he decides that this is for him. And after his first volume sold well, he's decided to go and create a brand new one, but this time, instead of just going and drawing what he likes and what he feels and make it as good as he can, he decides to go and draw upon well-known and established favorite genres, as well as what's currently popular and various trends in the latest most popular anime and manga and put them all together into one uh, somewhat incohesive whole. 
Unfortunately, this pan, uh, plan backfires, and instead of having a 32-page extravaganza, which goes and covers all these genres and sells well, everybody that looks at it can feel that he didn't really put his heart into it and was just trying to go and cash in on the success of other genres. And so his uh, second release ends up being a gigantic flop. Unfortunately, this goes and gets our hero's spirits very downtrodden, and it takes more or less the entirety of episode 3 and 4 to go and get him back in the seat. But after going and getting some inspirational talk from the head of a small but uh, highly successful uh, manga company, uh, and going and having his friends... Um, get him into various situations such as selling manga for a different yet uh, still somewhat popular artist and ending up in other situations such as going and running the um, school cultural fest panel for his class. Our hero gets back his strength and uh, goes back to the grindstone pumping out a whole bunch of new pages in just a short few weeks before uh, Comic Party, the largest uh, comic exhibition and sale. Uh, which is only a short while away. So he has to pound away to get all the pages done up in time, but he barely gets done before the convention, so all of his friends have to pitch in and help him do photocopies. Eventually, everybody chips in, and they get to the comic party, and just as everything has boiled to a head, they end the series without ever telling you how he did at comic party. Now, I'm sure that this was intended, uh, well, one, they probably ran out of budget, and since they ended at episode 13, I don't think this is too unlikely. Um, but also, I suppose it is to go and leave his success or failure up to the imagination of the viewer. However, I hate this. Um, it's fun to go and draw your own conclusions to things when um, either way would be satisfying. But in this case of Comic Party, uh, everything leads to it seeming that he'll have a small, but uh, thankfully, a success. Uh, but we don't go and get that satisfaction. We just end up with uh, everybody jumping up in the air and going to Comic Party and hoping for the best. So hopefully in Comic Party 2, we'll have our questions answered. But if you ask me, it was a rather cheap way to go about getting a second series. Alright, next up we have Kodacha. I believe it's volume 5, but check the show notes for the exact episode count and DVD count. Uh, okay, so this episode of Kodacha, uh, the last volume, which uh, let's just assume is volume 4, ended up with Sana's mother going and writing a book about her and Sana's life. Her mother is a very popular author, and of course this next book is going to be read by a wide range of people from all over the world. And in it, she's going to reveal Sana's big secret. But at the end of Volume 4, we don't know exactly what it is outside of our uh, little preview at the end. So, in Volume 5, we finally find out what it is. Now, of course, I don't want to go and tell any spoilers, because that would be no fun if you uh, are just hearing about Kodacha for the first time. And I highly recommend you pick it up. But, uh, I will say this much. It turns out that um, our heroine's lineage, Sana, uh, is not quite what everybody thinks it is. And as a result, there is a huge scandal, and reporters from all sorts of mediums, inc or media, including newspapers, television, and whatnot, are constantly hounding her at every venue, making it impossible for her to work and leave the house. 
But thankfully, her roguish boyfriend of sorts goes and uses his free-willing ways to go and break in, get her, and get on out of there. And thankfully, she goes and is able to uh, relax and vent a bit. Uh, and all this before finding out she's going to meet some new people, some relatives she never knew about. All in all, I can't say too much more about the plot without spoiling things, but let's just say that this volume of Kodacha is possibly the best volume yet. Uh, it goes and deals with a highly emotional issue, but makes it approachable both for adults and children alike, not dumbing it down for uh, the kids and alienating the adults, nor leaving it complicated and leaving the kids cold. And in the end, uh, also ends up throwing a bit of comedic things in there to help break the tension, but not wholeheartedly destroying the feeling at, at uh, certain key points of the episodes. Unfortunately, this volume ends off with a um, recap episode, but done brilliantly. Instead of the usual clip show or people talking about past things that they've done, instead it's presented as a special quiz show involving the cast of Child's Toy, who all go and try to answer trivia questions based on clips earlier in the series, which go and show key pivotal moments throughout the storyline. So, even though I hate recap episodes, this one was rather cleverly done, even though of course you can probably guess who the winner is uh, right at the beginning of the announcements of the participants. Anyways, Kodacha Volume 5 was what really well done and truly shows off the directorial power behind it, and I'm going to go and give this volume a top recommendation. Yes, it's been a while since I've doled one of those out, but I heartily feel that Kodacha deserves it. And though I liked Comic Party, it just didn't quite have a solid enough feel to get that high. So yes, Kodacha, top recommendation. And last up, we're going to go and review LR, licensed by royalty, which is, of course, what we were making fun of at the beginning of this episode with our funny. Well, uh, this is a pretty good show, I have to say. It's not... Uh, shall we say, bulletproof. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you can spy uh, a couple of problems with it. <laughs> yes, I have to say that it is quite a shoe phone. Oh, I guess that, that didn't really work as well as I was hoping. Well, anyways, uh, LR is basically a jazzy spy show, kind of with a James Bond 60s uh, spy feel to it. Uh, it's definitely not like modern James Bond movies, which are all flash and no substance, but it most certainly does put a heavy emphasis on style and action. Um, in this first volume, uh, we don't get too much of the overarching storyline, but we do go and get a good introduction to the various characters and... Um, the agency that LR works for. Essentially, they have been licensed by the royal family to go and carry out uh, exclusive missions that need a special certain touch that only suave British-accented agents can carry out. Yes, even though the show doesn't take place in England, it does take place in a uh, apparently British-accented country, which I don't know if they did that because of the whole spy thing and going for a British 60s spy fill, or if this Ishtar country is actually supposed to be a former English colony, and so they have the accent. 
Not too sure, but what I am sure of, at least I'm pretty sure, is that the voice actors in this are not, in fact, uh, British blokes who are going and doing the acting. As a matter of fact, everybody in this show that I've been able to make out speaks with a British accent. But, as I highly doubt that this show is uh, actually recorded by Genion over in Britain, everybody is an American speaking with a British accent. Now, I can't exactly pinpoint the exact accent if we're talking, you know, central, northern, southern. But what I can say is that they do a very good job but it still doesn't feel genuine. There just seems to be a little something off that I can't quite place my finger on. And so while I like their, their, the voice actors acting, I like the quality of the production, um, the, their, their voice acting uh, is well synced for the most part. There's a couple of things that are just a little off, but it just doesn't feel genuine. So I'm going to have to go and dock a little bit for that. However, since we're talking about audio, the music really helps make up for it. We've got kind of a a funky, jazzy, 60s, 70s sort of music to it. Uh, I forget the name of the gentleman that sings the opening song. He, he's a pretty well-known act, uh, uh, singer. And uh, the opening just really gets me pumped up every time I hear it. Generally, I go and I skip past the opening and closing animations uh, when I'm watching animated review for the show. That way I can watch it faster and don't have to deal with the redundancy of it all. But when I find a really good song, I tend to watch the opening a couple of times per volume. And I found myself watching the opening more often than not in this license by royalty. The ending, however, doesn't fare as well, but after you get about 30 seconds or so into it, eh, the music starts to get you and you'll watch the rest of the closing animation. Uh, the show itself, though, really good, like I said, uh, just introduces the characters, c- touches on a couple of individual uh, missions. The first one, a, um, um, a priceless royal treasure is being smuggled out of the country by some crooked professor, and so our agents go and get it back. Uh, the second episode, um, do, 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 do. You know, I can't quite remember what the second episode was. Uh, the third episode, <laughs> uh, the third episode involved them going and, um, escorting a girl who entered the, uh, 15-year princess contest and supposedly isn't actually the princess, but it kind of seems to me like they're going through to an awfully lot of work to go and have her escorted out of the country and avoiding the press uh, just because she's not really the princess. I think there's a bit more to it that will be touched on later. And the fourth and final episode is uh, more comedy than anything. It essentially sees four agents all sent to supposedly protect a royal treasure from a bunch of... um, uh, how to put it, uh, wiretappers who have heard on the internet that the satellite guarding the ancient family's ruins is going to be down and so they plan to get treasure. But, in fact, as a test where it turns out all of these so-called uh, tomb raiders are, in fact, all agents sent by the Ishtar royal family to go into a competition to go and see who can rescue the treasure and bring it back first. And... Um, this is essential, I guess, to see who gets a promotion and who needs more training. But it's more done for comedic effect than anything else. And that's how we top off this volume of License by Royalty. 
Uh, all in all, a pretty good uh, show. Uh, episode 2, obviously more forgettable than the others. Uh, the sporting cast is well-voiced and uh, really do well to add more to uh, Jack and Roe, the main characters. Um, and all in all, I found that I like the supporting cast more than the main two characters, but I certainly have a soft spot for them as well, and they provide an excellent back-and-forth diatribe between the two of them. So I'm going to go ahead and give this first volume of License by Royalty a recommended. At this point, it could either swing into neutral territory because it does things to by the book, but it may go and swing things more towards a story story orientated instead of just a action and style orientated way. And if it can just put a bit more story in there, I think we might be able to bump it up to a highly recommended next time. Okay, we're going to go ahead and keep the rest of the show short and sweet. Uh, apparently nobody felt like writing in any fan mail this week, but I guess just some weeks people don't feel like writing in. So we're going to go ahead and skip right to the next section, which is the hot spot, which is the current section. Uh, and I'm going to keep this pretty short, too, because, well, with no fan mail, I just don't feel motivated. So anyways, uh, what do we got? What do we got? Well, I'm going to do a little bit of ranting, and I hope you don't mind, um, about uh, some of the things that I've noticed in anime that really bugs me. I'm not talking that was originally in there, uh, that was put in by the original creators. Now, uh, that is for a whole other rant another time. What I'm talking about is that it's very irritating, some of the stuff that's done when they localize anime. Uh, one of the things that I can think of off the top of my head is translating pun-orientated jokes. Now, I have to say that puns, uh, I think puns are pretty great. But, let's face it, Americans don't really like puns. Most people think they're cheesy or dumb or just not worth the time or not even funny. And so... This contrasts greatly to Japan, where uh, vocal uh, language puns are very hilarious, uh, or even written puns, I suppose. So, here's my first tip. Don't translate the pun jokes. Sometimes it's pulled off rather well. But, first of all, it's very hard due to the language barrier. If you're dealing with another language, you're going to have to deal with things that don't translate well, such as two words sounding alike very much in Japanese that sound nothing alike in English. So then you're left with the choice of substituting in one word for the mistaken word or one word for the correct word. And it's not going to always mesh well, but on the uh, fortunate times when it does go and actually manage to pull off decently, even if it is uh, hilariously pun-worthy at the time. Like I said, this is North America, and around here we just don't find puns funny. So it still won't go over well, even if you are successful. Secondly, um, a lot of shows use accents. Now, I'm not saying that accents are bad, or accent impersonations are bad. As a matter of fact, I love accents myself. I think they're super cool, and I like doing impressions of them. But the thing that has to be realized is if you have a studio over in, say, England, and you want to do an English-style voice, use voice actors from the country which has the accent that you want. 
Now, obviously, this is not going to be the case in all situations. You're going to end up, say, with a Spanish-speaking person that can speak English but doesn't know English very well or can't act or what have you, and then I can understand. But if you can go and get something with the accent you want who can do a half-decent job at acting, go with them over a person imitating that accent. It'll sound much more authentic, and everybody will like it much, much more. Uh, and let's go and wrap things up with one last thing. What really irritates me... Uh, okay, so maybe it doesn't really irritate me, but one of the things that they could touch on is honorifics and Japanese words. Sometimes there's something in an anime that doesn't really have an English equivalent. Uh, for example, senpai. Senpai goes and essentially means an upperclassman, someone who, but not strictly in a school fashion. It can also be someone that ranks higher than you in an organization because they've been there longer. And yet in anime, we oftentimes go and see people translating or dropping off the honorifics when they bring it into English. Frankly, I don't know which is worse. Because if you drop off the honorifics, then we don't have uh, a better idea of how people go and have a relationship to one another in the show. Oh, sure, there's the way that they speak and act around each other, but having the San, Samas, Kuns, Chans, and all that at the end of people's names really goes and gives us an idea of what, in the person's mind, they go and see their relationship to the other people around them. And this, of course, dropping off the honorifics, is not just something that's done by the dub. A lot of times you'll see in the subtitles, the so-called professional productions, that they drop off the honorifics on the names. Now, I think that we can all agree that fan subbers tend to go and do a pretty good job at what they do. Now, sometimes it's not quite as well translated as it could be, or there's some typos that go and slip through. But all in all, I have to say that the fan subbers do a much better job when it comes to being authentic to the original material. And a lot of times we'll go and leave Japanese words in that have no real good English equivalent, or they'll go and leave the honorifics on most names. And I think that this is something that should be done on all subs, regardless of if they are fan-produced or professionally produced, because if you're watching the subtitled version of a show, pretty much can guarantee that you have a more inkling towards the Japanese uh, version of it, either because of your preference for the actors or because you want to go and get more authentic to the source material. And so if you're watching the Japanese sub, I, I mean the English sub instead of the English dub, I'm pretty sure that it won't throw you off that they start putting sans and samas at the ends of people's names. After all, that's what it sounds like when they say their names on the audio track. And, of course, we see a lot of times in anime where when they dub it, not only do they leave off the honorific, but they go and they change it so that characters are calling each other by their first names instead of their last names, or family name, as some may call it. Well, this, I suppose, can be forgiven in the sense that in America we tend to call each other by our first names instead of our last names, you know, individual individuality before the group mentality and all that. But I have to say that if you're going to go and dub an anime, go and try to keep it so that the uh, people that say such, uh, let's just say, are not friends, not on the same uh, social level, uh, they will go and call each other Mr. 
like Mr. Takanawa, for example. But if they're on the same level, uh, and let's say in the show that they called someone like uh, uh, Miyazawi-san, that they would call them in the English dub, um, let's say her name is uh, Aiko. Uh, then in the English dub they should call her Aiko because obviously they're on the same social level and so even though you're still using the last name and you're still using the son honorific you're more on an even level and if you're calling people Kuhn or Chan in the English dub why don't you go and give them nicknames which you know are based off their actual first name I think it would all work out better that way especially since Japanese people tend to go and give each other cute little nicknames if they're close enough to that person especially if they're girls well I think that's enough ranting for now eh? it's time to wrap up another episode of ASO Radio in case you didn't notice uh, I recorded this episode using some very new and somewhat expensive audio recording equipment So, I would like to know if you noticed a difference in the sound of this recording versus uh, last episode, episode 101. Uh, I think that it sounds much better with this new audio equipment. Uh, The quiet, silent parts are much more silent. There's much less feedback. And when I'm speaking, it seems to have, how shall we say, a clearer, more warm, rounded sound. Uh, But I would like to have your feedback. Did it sound better last episode? Do you like it better when we go and use the group microphone, which has a little bit more feedback, but has a more voluminous sound to it? Uh, Let us know. Just stop by the ASO Radio website, click on the fan mail link, and send us your thoughts. Anyways, like I said, this is the end of episode 102. So I'm going to go ahead and say sayonara as I sign off another fine episode of ASO Radio. ASA Radio is copyright of NC-17 Productions. ASA Radio is licensed to the general public under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. Additional licenses available. For more information, visit us online at www.nz17.com.